This week, we talk about the difficulties of content marketing when you're not a domain expert, healthy versus unhealthy deadlines, and more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's going on, Rick? Well, I want to talk about Zapier for a second. Yeah. I'm glad you call it Zapier and not, I think a lot of people call it Zapier, which drives me crazy. <laughs> oh, it's definitely Zapier. It's definitely Zapier. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but it's, well, anyway, um, you know, I've been diving into server-side or back-end programming uh, with your help. Uh, specifically, I've been practicing and playing with and reading about PHP, which is a popular back-end language if you're not a coder. Um, anyway, one of the hidden benefits of doing a deep dive on server-side programming for me is that it's re- make, it's helping me uh, take better uh, advantage and wider advantage of some of the power um, in Zapier, um, specifically Zapier, because it is an incredibly flexible uh, tool in terms of what it can do. But you can also, a lot of the custom actions that you can do in Zapier require a strong understanding of HTTP requests and how APIs work. So when you say custom actions, like I think the way most people use Zapier is they they have two different tools that neither of which they control, and they like are talking to each other with Zapier kind of as the middleman. You're saying you're writing code on your end that either triggers something in Zapier and sends it data, which then gets passed into Airtable or wherever, or receives a trigger as a webhook and then does something with it. Sort of, yeah. Um, think about like... PHP cron jobs, for example, um, you'd want to schedule a program to run at a certain time. Zapier has the ability to schedule zaps that basically mm. trigger a workflow uh, starting on a timed schedule. So you could have like a daily zap set up, for uh, example, that runs, um, checks Airtable for anyone with birthdays this week and sends them all an email um, saying happy birthday from another tool. That's pretty cool because, yeah, managing cron jobs is a surprisingly annoying thing to do, um, and to yeah, to just have it triggered by Zapier is pretty cool. So you're not you're not actually creating any cron jobs then; you're just going to trigger it from Zapier. I don't know yet, uh, but I but but because I started reading about cron jobs and I'm realizing, oh, that's that would help me. Then I started going, okay, well, what what about Zapier? Does it do that? And of course, it it does have a scheduling tool. Now it's much harder; it's just as hard to set up because you've got to figure out how to loop. Uh, in Zapier, which you can, you, Zapier mm-hmm. has a looping function that allows you to like grab records through the scheduler and then loop through those records and call a separate, a, a specific Zap action uh, for each one of the uh, objects. Oh, that's in in, loop. that's not even how I was thinking. Like I was just thinking that's very cool that you can do that. But just a simpler version is okay. So for anyone who doesn't have a background in this stuff, a normal web app. Is it's easy to do something that responds to customer action. Like a customer loads a web page, they fill out a form, and you do something. What's harder is the stuff that happens without the customer taking an action. For example, if you bill them once a month, I mean, Stripe will handle that for you, but if you want to run the billing logic yourself, like how do you initiate them getting billed if they haven't logged in that day or whatever? And that's normally you'd use a cron job, which is just a way to schedule one of your code files to run. So an even simpler version of what you're saying is it, that that's what I was initially initially thinking is you just make a PHP page, 
that does all the work, but Zapier just calls the page at the right time so that you don't have to schedule with a cron job. Totally. You could you could have you could schedule a, a Zapier Git request uh, for your PHP file um, and have it authenticate and just like that. That'd be a perfect example. Okay, cool. But you're saying you could even take it a step further and do the do all the logic within Zapier itself. Correct. Correct. So for example, you were you were pair programming with me in an Airtable script, and we were getting stuck on being able to uh, authenticate uh, the SendGrid API um, mm-hmm. within the Airtable scripting app because of security issues. They didn't want us to expose the the API credential. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, when, one other thing I've done, which is kind of a, an interesting thing, is you can actually set up Zapier as a listening webhook so that um, when you hit a webhook, it triggers the Zapier function to go. So I actually set up a webhook mm. and then called the webhook from Airtable um, and and then had Zapier authenticate with SendGrid. Yeah, to trigger the so email. Zapier has your API keys. Uh, okay. And then SendGrid initiates it. Zapier has all the authentication. That's very cool. And then so you Airtable don't need to turns, write your own backend code anymore. Technically, then. I don't. I can write the script in, in uh, Airtable and do everything without... PHP, but, but but if I hadn't gone down the PHP, I guess the the cool thing is is that by studying PHP, I'm realizing what the cap- the capabilities are of these no code tools, and they're much much they're much more powerful with a coding background than they are without a coding background. Yeah, um, I will say though, JavaScript is much harder for me to write in than PHP. PHP I find very intuitive, and I don't know if that's because of my Java background from computer science days. Um, or what, but I find JavaScript incredibly hard to like follow and code um, for some reason. Well, I don't know if this is why, but I also find JavaScript harder. And I think this is a lot of people do because JavaScript is a coding language that uses a lot of callback functions. It um, So with a normal programming, I shouldn't say normal, but with like traditional backend programming languages like PHP, there's one flow. Like you have code line after line after line of code and it runs the first line and then the second and the third. And with JavaScript, you like if you say I want to make a database call, it just makes the database call and then keeps running. And then when the call comes back, a totally different set of code runs. And so there's like multiple things happening in parallel, which is kind of hard to wrap your head around when you're first getting started. I spent yesterday trying to understand what callback functions were and it made my head explode. I still I finally like it clicked a little bit, but Understanding the concept versus being able to follow that logically through code or write it is much different. So I, I still may end up writing the script um, to automate the monthly email um, via PHP just because of how hard JavaScript is for me to follow. Okay, that makes sense. Callbacks, if for what it's worth, we can do another pair programming session. Like I have it figured out. I remember the feeling of how confusing it was. But yes, it uh, like at this point, if you want help with it, I feel pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But yeah, and that and that kind of cool though. Like, yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, it feels like I'm making no progress as a business this month. Like, so if I could just kind of self reflect for a second, it feels like this has been a dud of a month. But in reality, if you look back, if I look back at the beginning of February where I was in terms of my no coding capabilities, just purely my no. Co- I've come a long way, mm-hmm. but but I got to remind myself that being able to automate some of these non-customer triggered, uh, you know, tasks is a big deal for my business. And even if it if I don't grow customers this month as much as I want to, and I get that done, it's going to make my life easier um, for for months and years to come. 
Yeah, well, especially it seems like you've lifted a ceiling or you've raised the ceiling of the business where before it was like the product can get this good. And then, you know, of course you could go hire a developer to like rebuild the whole thing from scratch and and that would lift the ceiling. But it seems like you no longer have that constraint, like no code was holding you back and now it's not. So even setting aside your current goal of automating stuff, it, it just makes the total opportunity a lot bigger, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah, it does. Um, but th- the challenge, of course, is you could you could take that too far where, okay, well, I'm going to use this logic to justify spending the next five years becoming a no-code expert. And like, you do have to balance theory versus like, what do I actually need to get done right now? Yeah, I like... I like um, I like the concept of, of ceiling or runway. It's like I'm buying by, by investing this time into raising the ceiling, I'm buying myself runway without having to bring on third party talent, mm-hmm. um, which allows me to get to a place where I can pay more money for that and get higher quality talent when it does come. Do you feel like that's inevitable? Like you're definitely going to be hiring or, or like all the no code you're building. Does it seem inevitable that it's going to get replaced with full on real code at some point? Depends on Assuming this business gets bigger than one or two people working here, yes. Mm-hmm. Like once it gets to two, like two coaches, three coaches, it's like this. This has to. There's some things we have to build that I just don't feel comfortable even thinking about. In fact, that takes me into my next uh, question, which is: as I started diving into PHP, one of the big scariest things about it is the security aspects. And one of the things I love about No Code is I'm sort of offloading all mm-hmm. of the. Security into these different modules, uh, you know, surrounded by companies that um, that take care of different things. And man, it's the the amount of disclaimers that I see around how to do and not to do things in PHP. It's kind of scary. I don't know, and because I'm I'm a newbie, I don't know what I don't know. And so, right. do you have any suggestions on how to learn how to avoid security issues in programming, or is this one of those things where you just kind of have to make the mistake to figure it out? I yeah, I was listening to the Art of Product podcast this morning where um they were uh Ben was interviewing the founder of Podio who was saying P- Podio, do you know Podio? It's like a used to be a CRM actually. They used to compete with us and now they're more like a maker gumroad type of thing. Anyway, I'm getting to a point. Hang on. Uh so what he said, they were talking about the lessons you learn scaling a business. And what he said is in the early days, you don't need any engineers who have done scale before. But when you hit that point where you need to scale, the only way to do it is to hire someone who already knows it. Um, he basically said, you can't read a book on this or anything like that. Like It's just kind of passed down from generation to generation to developer. I kind of think security is like that. Like There certainly are books and resources on it. But if I were you, I would just ask for a code review. And I'm happy to, if you're doing PHP, I'm happy to do that code review, but um, not everyone knows a person they can ask for this, in which case I don't have a great answer, but I think like you could spend 50 hours training yourself on this, or I could spend 20 minutes looking at your code and you're going to get probably a better outcome with a code review. Uh, the third party code review is interesting. And that, that kind of creates this whole opportunity. Like, I wonder if there's companies out there that provide almost like security re- code review as a service. Mm. Um, that's an interesting, like productized service model. Yeah, and actually, I have heard of people who. Uh, sorry, I keep referencing all these other podcasts I listen to, but on um, Bootstrapped Web, one of the people on that learned to code while the podcast was going on. And one of the things he did is he hired like a coach, basically. Um, so it was just, I mean, any experienced developer should maybe not will be a security expert. Like I'm not a security expert, but I think I know best practices. 
but he just hired for, you know, can we have a one hour call once a week? Uh, you look at my code, tell me what's wrong. It's very little effort on the part of the other coder. It's, it's just, I think it's a really good win-win for both sides. Yeah, I like it. I like it. In fact, that's one of the hardest things is when you get stuck while you're teaching yourself this stuff, it's really hard to get unstuck. Like callback functions, for example, I feel like if we did a one hour call on callback functions or 20 minutes even, it would have saved me hours. Yeah. Every time we have a junior developer join the team, which is every like everyone at the company started as a junior, this is a really hard thing to communicate to them. It's like, there's productive struggle and there's unproductive struggle. And you have to be able to tell when do you hit unproductive struggle and then come ask a question because it takes me three minutes to answer your question. And it, you know you could spend hours and hours and hours otherwise. But if you if you do that too quickly, you never learn anything. So yeah, oh, it's a difficult I, balance. I really like the concept that you just can't productive struggle versus unproductive struggle. And it's very difficult when you're in it to be able to see like, oh, recognizing that, okay, I'm past the point of productivity here red alarm and that's hard to recognize in the moment yeah yeah <laughs> if, if you come up with a way to identify it let me know because i would love to be able to just tell interns this it would save so much time <laughs> uh, uh what about you what's going on with you so i keep referencing this uh webflow project um where we're we're migrating our marketing site over to webflow we have a almost certain launch date of sunday night we're gonna do it um, so I'm excited to get that done. And it's, I'm sure you've experienced this before where it's a big project we've been working on for 10 months or something like that. And the last little bit is always just so many little things coming together. Um, and we're a pretty calm comp company normally. Like we don't do deadlines. We don't have anything with with any urgency. I just think it's impossible to ship something this big without the last week being a little bit chaotic and stressful. So we're in that mode right now. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, is, is it healthy? Is it a healthy amount of urgency or is it, is, it, is it unhealthy? I think it's healthy, but my team is not used to it. And so I'm having to kind of be like, okay, I get that normally when I ask you to do something, it's kind of like get to it when you get to it. And I mean, they know if it's like a security thing or, you know, they know what's important, what's not. But in this case, a lot of things that aren't otherwise important are urgent because they're, they're blocking something else. So I have, I've had to do a fair amount of like, hey, you two, like, I know this sounds minor, but we have to get this out before noon so this other thing can happen before the end of the day so that at, tonight we can run this migration we have to run. Um, so I actually like it. I think we've talked before about a certain amount of like excitement every once in a while, as long as it's not constant is good. So I've really enjoyed the last week because I kind of forgot the, the excitement of getting close to a launch date. Interesting. Yeah. One of the things I've been wanting to talk to you about with the related to this is how do you know when it's like good, healthy prioritization, uh, with a good deadline versus you can kind of get to a place where it's almost everything's urgent and it becomes mm -hmm. self-defeating. Yeah. Are you experiencing this? Do you think? I think I have in the past. I think I'm a source of self-defeating urgency sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk through this. I, I don't think I like have an answer to this, but one thing I'll say is I said Sunday is the deadline. If Sunday comes and it's not ready, we just won't do it. I think that's one really important thing to have is like, if we can get it ready, great and and people actually like deadlines as long as they know 
there are not like major consequences for missing them, I think. And why why Sunday was it? Did you when did you set Sunday's deadline and why? Yeah, I th- I was going to be tonight originally. Um Sunday is because I want the right group of people around for when it happens. And in this case, the right group of people is me, Eunice, who's the person who set up the Webflow site, and then Bracken, who's my co-founder and the DevOps person. So like, it's possible this takes the site down temporarily. Um, And like certain things might break because we were just talking about cron jobs. All of our cron jobs used to be running on www.lessonings.com. We had to move them all. What if everything breaks when we do this? So I wanted the three of us around for this, and Bracken was on vacation. So it was going to be today, which literally was like the earliest possible moment that a week ago I thought we might be ready. Mm. I'm glad I didn't because we're not ready. <laughs> but then again, if if we'd set it for today, we probably would be ready. Like the stuff we don't have ready is it all could have been done. It just we knew we had extra time, and you know. Nature abhors a vacuum. Is that the saying? I've never heard it. Like, if, if you have a vacuum, uh, it will be filled, mm. right? So if you if you set a deadline further out than it needs to be, like, you'll find reasons not to finish it until then. Totally, totally. And and so, so yeah, back to your point, it sounds like setting a deadline is kind of two parts. One is setting it so that people believe you can hit it in the first place. And then second is being, kind of having an understanding that if it, if, if new information is gathered in that, the the deadline is no longer reasonable or possible, it's going to get pushed. Yeah. I'm just trying to think through this here. I mean, I'm interested in your thoughts too, because I, I don't think I like have this solved. But another thing, we've talked recently about the jog system we have, which is kind of a way to do plan. We, we talked about it last week in the context of uh, decision-making versus execution. But another thing with the jog system we do is when we plan a little two or three-week jog, um, which is a re- basically a sprint for other companies, we set a deadline or like a due date or however you want to think of it. No one ever hits it. <laughs> uh, but the rule is when you miss it, leave a comment why. Um, I shouldn't say no one ever hits it. People do. But like 50% of the time people miss them. And someone leaves a comment like, oh, this bug came in that uh, took three days. And so I didn't get this done. Or the project ended up being bigger than we thought. And then when the project's done, we just look at those comments and we're like, did we learn anything from this? Like, can we take this information? So no one's stressed out about missing the deadline, but it does give them a sense of like, something was planned incorrectly if you don't hit it, you know? Yeah, it's it's almost like, would you rather have a, it's 50% a good number though. Like, is it, right, yeah. is it 75, you should, be, should it be closer to 75%? It, become, it starts becoming this thing where it's like, 50% sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, it, th- that's a very good point. Because there are people who are like, you should never hit any of your goals. Because if you do, it means you're not being ambitious enough. And then other people say the opposite. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, other people say that if you don't hit your goals, you're the decreasing motivation to hit future goals. And mm-hmm. ah. so yeah, maybe I I, I want to be clear. I wasn't like intentional that fifty percent's the number that I want. Just that's kind of how it works out. That seems well, like a pretty good. Of- I like that. Like I mean, three point. If you're a good shoot, three really good three point shooter in the NBA, you shoot close to fifty percent. Um. I mean, that means you're shooting three-point shots. We've got a Duke boy here. <laughs> yes, we do, but not this year because we're not going to talk about how they find this year. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a good... You kind of... You're, you're you're not shooting layups. You're shooting three-pointers. That means you fail 50% of the time. And if you have a good system for reflecting on that and learning from it, then yeah, I like it. I actually kind of like it. I'm curious about your... You've had... You had experiences at PeopleKeep where I think you had a lot of 
like unhealthy urgency from the sound, like people were stressed, including you, but then also your experiences now as like the only person, like, is this a problem when you're by yourself, like goal setting and stuff like that? Or de- not goal setting, but deadline setting. I, oh, guess. I have this right now. Um, yeah, I think it is. I think, I think so for example, I, I sort of set two goals in my head for this month. One is to automate the monthly email, which is number one, the number one goal by far. But the second is to make some progress on leg up benefits. I threw out someone could sign up for leg up benefits. And the reality is that the focus that I'm putting towards learning how to program is dominating anything I could possibly do with leg up benefits. Now I've made some progress on leg up benefits, but it's not the progress I originally said. And I do feel this urgency to work on leg up benefits, but it comes at the expense of Mm -hmm. focus on the programming stuff. And in the 50-50 setting, it's like, okay, well, I clearly overstretched here. Maybe I should re- you know, reduce my scope of like at benefits and get something done and be happy with that. But I don't, I don't do that naturally. But na- like talking to you now that I'm talking to you out loud about it, it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe there's a smaller version of like at benefits that's a win and I can get over myself. I, it sounds like there's two different ways to miss a deadline, though, from what you just said. Like, one is you're being productive, but on something other than what you planned. And the other is you're not being productive. Um, and probably the way to handle those are different. Like, you, being productive on the wrong thing is bad, but being productive on something that's useful is great. So if if that's what's happening, I think you just need to say, is the thing I'm being productive on worth doing in the next six months? If so, why... like? Who cares if you do it now versus next month, I think. Do you agree yeah. with that? For, for leg up benefits, you mean? Uh, so, well, I'm talking about the programming thing. Like, yeah. The programming thing is the most important thing. It is It is the... I am a big fan of re, like removing constraints. Like, Yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying is yeah. as long as what you're being productive on needs to happen at some point, Maybe you just picked the wrong deadline or the wrong goal, but like you're getting work done. There's nothing to stress out about. This there, is a very productive month for me. One of the more productive months. It's not a productive yeah. productivity issue, and I'm and I'm focused on the right things. But it, but but to the point, it's like when you say you're going to do something, even if it's to yourself, I have trouble letting go of that. Like I'm mm. still not confident. To, I'm not comfortable saying I'm going to let that goal slide. Which is cre- which just creates some unhealthy. Like yeah, I don't know feelings. that I have anything useful to say other than like let it go, you know, like, let it go. (laughs) (laughs) But it's probably worth having this framework a little bit to think through. Like, am I, is the problem that I'm being unproductive or is the problem that I'm being productive on something other than what I planned? I mean, that's, I, I, I know the answer to that, but I, this is a question. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, but in general, it's still not helping me. It's not helping me go. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I need to reflect on this conversation after we, this has been helpful to force me to go, okay, I've got a framework here to think about this. I probably could go faster now on the program if I just said, kind of gave up on leg up benefits a little bit this month mm-hmm. and, and kicked it to March. Yeah, then that's probably what should happen. I, something I do every once in a while, I forget to do this regularly, but occasionally I remember to, is like pick six things, or I don't know why I said the number six, some number of things, and like put them all on your task list and just be like, which one am I feeling right now? Because you're almost always more productive just going with your like what you're motivated to do in the moment than like what's the optimally, maximally most impactful thing. Like your 
productivity boost by working on what you're interested in is probably more impactful than like ordering those six things the right way. Totally. Cool. Um, so I've got, I've been doing some uh, marketing brainstorming and I don't, I've got like a much bigger topic, which I keep saying this and I keep putting it off. I think next week, can we just devote like the whole episode to talking about my marketing stuff? Oh, I love that. Okay. But I'm just going to tease it a little bit that I've been trying to figure out, like, I really want content marketing to work. And I've been trying to figure out why have I failed so miserably at it in the past? Because I like putting out content. I love making this podcast with you. I love, I'm on Twitter, like, putting out some content. I used to blog a lot more, but I, I really enjoyed it. And people seem to like it. It seems like the perfect recipe for content marketing. But I think the problem is like there's not an overlap between the things I feel knowledgeable about and the things my customers care about. And I'm just trying to find that intersection because without it, yeah, I could build an audience of people that are not my customers or I could be miserable writing low quality content for my customers, you know? Mm -hmm. I totally hear you. You're not going to have an answer to this, but like, what? W just brainstorm with me for a second. Do you see an intersection? Like, you know, you understand who my customer is, a small business, not a tech startup, like a traditional small business. Do I have anything to say to them? I, I mean, I'm surprised that you're struggling with this, to be honest, because I would think that the things that you rant about are things that small business owners would enjoy reading about. Am I, hmm. am I, have you gotten data back from your customers on past writings that suggest that they don't enjoy consuming the content that you, you put out in the past? Um, not necessarily that they don't enjoy it, but they need to actually discover it. Or So either it needs to be something people search for or something people share. Um, if they share it, great. I'll send it out to my current customers. There's 24,000 of them. They'll share it and it'll take off from there. Or people need to be like typing it into Google or something. I yeah, I haven't really cracked that. Well, I mean, it seems like if we fly up to the essence of I, this, feels like something that comes needs to like come back. This mm -hmm. to me, this feels like an exercise less in SEO tactical, like what should I write about, and more a philosophical essence of what is less annoying CRM about. Um, so when you tell so when someone says, "Oh, I totally buy into what less annoying CRM is," is that your core customer, or is that some? side customer that's a, who's the evangelist here? yeah i don't think our when you say what less knowing serum is about do you mean like the product or what we're about as a company i mean it's in the name man like less annoying yeah. crm who buys less well, like the, the idea of less annoying crm who, who loves that name our some of our customers do but i think <laughs> the people who who love me talking about it are people who aspire to be less annoying crm and our customers do not aspire to be a company like us Okay, so you're, who are the people who come to your conferences? Yeah, they're the super fans of the product. Yeah. And are those people representative of your customers, or are they just this separate group? Yeah, they're, I think, like any super fan, they're maybe like a, an extreme version, but I think they're representative of our customers. I mean, it, you've heard the concepts of, of like 100 fans. If you can just focus mm -hmm. on getting 100 fans, it seems like you have 100 fans. And maybe mm -hmm. the, the trick is going and talking to those people and saying, if, if you could read one article from me a month, like what topics would you like me to talk about? 
that'd be interesting. And you might find that some of those topics do interest you or they don't. But I, I mean, I would try um, Stephen King um, in on writing. I have some notes on ricklinquist.com about this. And if you're really serious about getting into writing again, I would highly recommend re- buying the book and reading it or re- reviewing the notes. Yeah, I read uh, your notes, but I'll, I'll, I'll look over them again. He, he writes to his ideal reader. Stephen King's mm. ideal reader is his wife. And so he doesn't think about ideal reader as a, a, a fake person. He picks a person, his wife, and writes to her. And I think if you can get, I, I, you know, if you can clarify who your ideal reader is, which, you know, for TylerKing.com, it might be different than uh, less annoying, less annoying yeah. C, uh, CRM. But I think this is more of a, an exercise for less annoying CRM. Who is your ideal reader for less annoying CRM? And just write for them. It'll get shared. Okay, so... I, first of all, I love this. Thank you. Like, as soon as you started talking, I don't know if you could read my facial expression, but I'm like embarrassed that I didn't think of this because like that, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm thinking about the 24,000 people and I need to think about the 100. Um, take this the next step. Let's say I find, I, I do this, I talk to them, I pick some content. Do you really think it's as simple as write it, share it with those 100 people and it'll get shared? Or like, One of the problems I've been having, so let me me give you an example. I love customer service. It's a cornerstone of our business. It's a place where our business overlaps our customers. But I also think nobody like proactively learns how to do customer service, but not nobody, but like people are going out and being like, how do I improve sales? I don't think very many companies are going out and being like, how do I improve customer service? Do you think I should even be thinking about how how do I get this distributed once I write the content? I... I I feel like that's a little bit, listen, if you got, if you have a hundred people who love your content, who are also customers, I, the answer to your question is I think it'll take care of itself and you'll iterate based on what happens from there. But take, for example, I'm thinking of a couple of companies that have written about customer service. Uh, Intercom comes to mind as, as a company that really like their, their content, I ate up Mm -hmm. because of, it was focused on customer service. And I read that regularly for, yeah. for, I mean, ye- a year. Um, this is that, the thing I'm, uh, go sorry, good. Well, I'm, I'm really jealous of, overall, I love the fact that we don't sell to startups or bigger companies because I both of them are kind of miserable customers to sell to, to be honest. But the thing that startups and big companies have is some, like people are methodical about every aspect of the business. The reality is that a small business, first of all, they just don't have time. And in a lot of cases, they're just not big enough. Like, Customer service is something that whoever's near the phone picks up the phone and does it. It's it's not like someone's job. And even if it is their job, they're not like methodical the way a startup is. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think like... The, here's different. the answer. I, I don't know who your ideal reader is, so I can't really say whether they'd be interested in customer service or not. But once yeah. you do, you'll know it. You'll figure out what to write about. And either you'll enjoy writing for your ideal reader or you won't. And you like... Well, yeah, I guess my point is... Um, there's a difference between someone I know enjoys reading it versus like people are actively looking for it, you know? Well, so, so here, here's, I think those two things aren't usually different. So, uh, people who enjoy reading, generally people who enjoy reading a certain topic represent a group of people who are also searching for it. It's very, it's, it's mm. rare that there's this innovative like concept that, I mean, Bitcoin at some point was an idea in some fake person's head and he wrote a white paper about it and it got published. Right. 
now everyone's searching for Bitcoin because people know what Bitcoin is. But there were there were a lot of steps between those two things happening. Sure, that's a very extreme example. I guess my point is, good contents like really good content isn't optimized for keywords. It's mm-hmm. optimized to solve a problem or to share an idea, and then you know that content that idea gets shared. But so it is like, I guess that's what I wanted to nail nail down on is the first step. Like, yes, eventually, hopefully it takes off there. People know about it, whatever. But like probably with this approach, the first step is sharing. I think maybe we didn't say this out loud, but if you're if if, if you're trying to write content for someone who's searching, that's very different than writing content for sharing. Yes, they're they're totally different objectives. And I I think that if we're being honest, you are going to fail at writing content that f- for being discovered like for being searched because that is not writing for someone that's writing for google and it's it it, it it's much better in my opinion to write for being shared um, just write great content that people are going to go like you know what that was the most valuable thing for me and maybe they will pass it along oftentimes later you're gonna that's gonna start getting traffic and it's gonna get some and people and you can optimize it later um, but even if it never gets um, you know, it, it's not like optimized for a keyword. It, it'll, it'll find its way to people. Yeah. I'm 50, 50 on that. I love the idea. I'm going to do the, I reach out to the true fans. I think it's a great idea for coming up with content. I do think there are certain types of content that people are, well, unde- undeniably certain types of content people are more likely to share than others. In the past, we've had things where like people would tell us they loved it, but they're like, my my Twitter followers don't care about this topic or something like that. But anyway, I, I like what you're saying. Marketing always involves experimentation. So I, like, there's not going to be a slam dunk either way. And I think your your idea is a good way to like have good odds. At the end of the day, you want people who are going to look forward to what you're writing. And if they look forward to what they're writing, they're going to read it. And then some, some percentage of what they read, they're going to share. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, well, if we have time at the end of this, I have a couple other ideas sort of related, but a different topic, but I know you've got a couple things, so, uh, take it away. Well, uh, is there, I mean, if it's related, let's, let's keep going. Well, it's just other marketing okay. ideas. So, uh, I don't, I could talk all day about it, so okay. I'll, I'll save it for the end if we have time. Okay. So, um, well, w- <laughs> this is a complete mind warp from marketing. So we'll come back to the marketing thing. Uh, but Peter, Peter Drucker, I, he's been on my Kindle for, I think three years but I've never actually read about him or I don't know who he is. uh, So he is a famous management consultant uh, who coined the term knowledge worker. Oh, Um, he's, he's, he's uh, no longer with us in this world, but um, he was like a guy who he was born in Europe um, and then uh, moved to the United States and then became this management guru and wrote a bunch of books. One of his more famous, uh, articles is called um, on managing oneself or managing oneself. Um, it's kind of like up there with Clayton Christensen's "How We Measure Your Life." If you've ever read or heard of that article, anyway, um, one of the really interesting questions that he has you answer in this article, um, he, he goes through is like some really important questions to be a knowledge worker. For the, the, his entire kind of point is that. With the growth of the knowledge worker, no longer are you looking at a company to tell you what to do, who to be, and what your career is going to be. Knowledge workers have to figure that out for themselves. Um, and with that, that starts bringing in questions like, what are my values? What am I? What are my strengths? 
how do I perform? And then putting yourself in a situation career-wise to maximize those talents. One of the more interesting questions is that, that from this is how do you perform? Um, and some of the things that have to do with performance are big company, small company, a company um, that has to do with uh, th- that's focused on long term versus uh, short term. And I found it really interesting to think through that question from the lens of like our time together at PeopleKey or Zane Benefits um, because of some of the dis- like how you run less annoying CRM being so different than some of the decisions that were made back in the Zane Benefits days. Um, and ultimately, like everyone has to, and one of the points he made was ultimately every company has to be somewhat concerned about the short term, short, short term to be able to, you know, make profits. But uh, at the end of the day, like when it comes down to a choice between do I do something for the short term and hit a, like hit a deadline, for example, or do some, you know, play the long game. Um, I think nine times out of 10, you're going to play the long game, whereas other people might play the short game. Uh, you know, say the deadline's more important nine times out of 10. Mm-hmm. And that's hmm. a, th- those two people are not compatible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would, they're not even, they shouldn't even be at the same organization, probably. Correct. Hmm. So, okay, that's interesting. This is only slightly related, but that, that immediately made me think of a tweet I saw yesterday that I thought it was interesting, which was someone saying, the reason you can't have an entrepreneur, like, uh, a startup within a big company, I think was the way it was phrased. Cause you know, every, every big, you know, Google type company is like, Oh, this, this part of us is going to run like a startup within the company. And they, the tweet basically said the reason it never works is because that the employees are still trying to get promoted. An entrepreneur is driven to make a product they want to exist or change the world or whatever. And the employee at the big company is trying to get promoted, and it's that's just not compatible with how startups work. This was the fundamental conflict I had at People Keep with the board. Um, was I wanted to treat it like my baby, which was always long term focused. It's mm. like I want my kid to be able to go to college. Like I, I don't care about whether he gets like this perfect score on his math test in fifth grade. <laughs> like we're in fifth grade right now. Let's worry about. Let's talk about college. And they're like, we don't care about college. We care about fifth fucking grade. All yeah. about all we care about is getting to sixth grade. <laughs> and it's like, man, we are. Let's just like beat each other, beat our heads against the wall over this. Um, that's a great point, though. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, I I think that when you're hiring, for example, and when this the, where this really hit me was as I think about who do I want to work with at uh, um, like a health in the future. I, this, these are the types of questions that, that, um, I need to be asking during the interview process. You mm-hmm. know, if you're someone who wants to come in and be promoted, uh, and have a, like a career track, that's, you, you're probably not going to want to work at leg up health. So an interesting twist on this is there are probably types of what's the language. How do you perform? There are like ways to perform that are different, but still compatible. And then there are ways to perform that are I actually, the opposite of that, the same but incompatible. Like to some extent, you can't have two like strong type A leaders on the same team potentially. Um, I'm curious, like, like what do you think is compatible with you? In terms of, uh, in terms of what, like specific? Well, let me give you an example. Okay, so I, I didn't do this intentionally, but at Less Knowing CRM, we have a lot of people who aren't interested in business at all. They aren't interested in startups. 
They don't like any of the stress or any of the pressure. They don't think about it when they're in the shower or when they're going to bed. And in many ways, that's really compatible with me because like, I kind of hate the diligent work of running, like of growing a business, but I love thinking about it and learning and stuff like that. And the fact that they, they appreciate me for taking all the uncertainty and stress and thinking about it in the shower off of their shoulders. And I appreciate them for coming in nine to five and answering emails to customers we're different, but we're compatible, you know? That's, yeah. And that's really interesting. When I did, when I would do what you're doing with some of my team members back in people keep, they would get mad at me because they felt like they didn't understand what was going on and they wanted to, mm-hmm. um, or they couldn't, couldn't like make the decisions I was asking them to make because they didn't have the information. So it was kind of two part. One, I was passing, I was asking them to be not what you're asking your team members to be. And then withholding some of that, the information that's necessary to be able to to do the things I was asking. So yeah. I think it's kind of, kind of goes both ways. It's one, it's, it's, it's situation. It's, it's kind of like the situation and the compatibility, but it's also what you're expecting mm-hmm. of the people. And it's changed for us over time. Like the first six people we hired, it was more like, I don't know how to manage. I don't know what our business model is. You need to find work and go do it. And now it's like, you are CRM coach number eight. You need to be doing the same thing the other seven CRM coaches are doing, and I mean they still show leadership skills. There's room to grow, but it it is it's a different thing as you get bigger. Totally, and I just realized I butchered the question. The question that that I was talking about earlier was where do I belong, not how mm. do you how do I perform. There are five questions he walks through in the in the long form article or the memo. What are my strengths? How do I perform? What are my values? Where do I belong, and what should I contribute? Where do I belong is what we've been talking about. I had a question for you though. Mm-hmm. Where, what, and this was related to how do I perform? Are you a reader or a listener? Like, how do you learn? Uh, or how do you like, what's the best way for you to process information? Re- like, like medium, because yeah. I, I read and listen, but I think for me, it's like, I don't have a long attention span. So the things I learn from are short. They're Twitter, blog posts, podcasts, you read books. I mm. can't. I read mm. the first 10 pages. And I'm like, I, I get it. I'm, I'm not reading the rest of this. <laughs> Interesting. Um, do you work well with people or, or are you a loner? I think I'm more of a loner. Yeah. But you work well with people too. I mean, everyone does if they're not an asshole. Like, what do you think for you? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm definitely a loner. You are? Yeah. Huh. That's it. Because that's not the role you've been in, right? You've been in like leadership, sales. I come from a programming background and like the stereotype is you expect the programmer to be a loner. Yes. Yeah. No. Um, anyway, kind of kind of fun things to think about and reflect on every now and again. Okay. I realize we've talked about this topic too long, but I'm, I've got one more question for you. So something that I have a disconnect with from other peers of, not not like at the comp- at Lesson Learning Serum, but like other startup founders is I think a lot of people either want to start things or they want to operate things. And that's why so many founders are kind of serial entrepreneurs where they start something and they sell it or whatever. Uh, I like love starting stuff, but I can't imagine not running less annoying CRM. Do you, what, what do you think, you, where, where do you think you are in that? I mean, my only, you have to realize like my whole career was at people keeping Zane benefits. So I, I mm-hmm. probably, and I couldn't have imagined leaving. Like I, if I hadn't been asked to leave, I probably would never have left, which was part of the reason like I needed to be asked to leave. Right. So, uh, as I think about leg up health, I mean, 
it's much more likely for me to pivot leg up health into something I want to do than for me to sell leg up health. I think. You think think. it's pretty unlikely that you get it to 10 or 50 employees and you're like, well, that was fun. Let's put another CEO in charge and go do something else. I can't say that for sure. Um, But I'm not like a, I don't have a hard stance of never doing something, but can Mm -hmm. I imagine selling it? Yes. I can imagine selling it. Can I imagine doing something else? Yes. Maybe that's partly because of my experience at people keep and having gone through being separated from something like that. Um, maybe it's a personality trait. I don't know. Why, why do you ask? Just cause I, you know, when you have a big disconnect with other people that you're otherwise aligned with, like I'm trying to figure out, am I weird? Are they weird? The fact that I like starting and running a thing. Um, that is weird. Yeah. Starting and running a thing is weird. I, and I, and I have not met many people like that. One of the reasons I like talking to you is that you have that mindset, but there aren't many people you meet who like the running and the starting part. Yeah. Usually I, they, to be, they're, they're one or the other. To be clear, I think I would hate running someone else's thing. When, when I look at what a manager needs to do at another company, I'm like, that seems miserable. I've just like been very selfish about making this oh, a job. I, I know. Like. Well, I think the other factor here is gets back to like the essence of start to last, which is you don't have any investors. People like, right. If I, if I were a starter who raised capital over and over again, I wouldn't want to run that thing either. Like <laughs> you're not working. Like that's not fun. Like well, yeah, you're, you do kind point. of have a dream job. You have like what people start, like you have what people raise money to get to, but then hate their jobs because they have investors. So <laughs> you are in a rare situation. Hmm. Cool. Um, all right. And then we got what, 15 minutes here. You got a, some brainstorming you want to do here? Well, I, w- I feel like uh, marketing is is the on the. Uh, this is kind of marketing related. I mean, mm-hmm. it's re- revenue related. So, uh, I've got eight users right now of a hundred ish, a little over a hundred, that have policies in the system in Utah, and they. I could be. I'm not the agent on them, but I could be. Um, some of these people, I actually helped with their health insurance. Uh, three of these eight people, I've already asked to be an agent, their agent, and they said, "Oh man, sorry, uh, we haven't." Uh, you know, the brother-in-law does the insurance, yeah, family friend, gonna, or yeah, something. We're not going to yeah. switch. Um, but these other five, I'm because I got, I just don't know how to. The the first three, I had relationships with. I talked on the phone. I feel like I could call and be like, "Hey, you know, these are the first five people who." I don't really know. I've never, I've talked to two, one of them on the phone and actually helped them enroll. And they were like asking, her, let's take her out for a second. Cause I, she's different. So four people who I've never talked to, I've never met. I signed up online and they basically like, you know, added their information. They chose not to make me the agent, uh, in the, in the online portal. But now I'm like, it's been a couple months and I want to ask them to be the, their agent, but I feel awkward asking them, how much did they choose not to? Because because it's not as they simple didn't as check like a box. check. They didn't check a box, so it's like they, they didn't, didn't. They didn't uncheck a box. Yeah, so it's possible that they were just like, well, it's obviously easier for me not to check this box. It's possible. You don't. They know. haven't told me no. Let's just put it that way. They haven't. Yeah. I have, they haven't been asked to be an agent. They they haven't told me no. What I don't know is what I'm uncomfortable with is what I don't know is that if I'm are these things that I should just let happen naturally and just go. Hey, like, or should I go out and say, should I write an email to each of these people saying, let me give you three good, let me give you five reasons why you should make me the agent today. Yeah. I mean, I I get the point here. We're going to talk about how to do that and what the email should say, but it seems like you got to shoot your shot. Like, 
you're, you're providing value to them. It's free. It really is not an imposition on them at all to get an email from you. So how do I do that in a way that d- doesn't have any negative consequences, but also maximizes the potential that they'll say yes? Okay, I'm going to make some assumptions here and tell me if you think I'm wrong about any of these. I kind of feel like either people have that brother-in-law or they don't. And if they don't, they don't care about this at all. And if they do, there's nothing you're going to do to get them to ruin their relationship with their brother-in-law. Like, it's very binary, I think. Yes. So if that's the case, I would just email them and be like, here's the deal. If your brother-in-law is, like, if you know the person... Let's assume for... For purposes of this conversation, they don't have agents, and oh, let's just oh, work, okay. let's like 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 let's let's just say like these four people, you know they they have insurance, they have no agent, but they're getting an email from someone they don't know very well that's saying I want like to make make me the eight. Oh, okay, sorry that that's yeah. a, to me sounds much easier. Yes, um, it is. It is much easier. Yeah, I, I mean, I would yeah yeah probably do what you just said. Like here, here are the ba- basically what I would be make very clear. This does not cost you any money. It takes about 15 minutes or however long. Two minutes. Two minutes. So uh, like, hey, you know, thanks for being on Leg Up Health. It's great having you. Uh, What I would do if I were you is probably take the I'm a small business here and be like, just like full disclosure, what I'm offering to you is free. The way I make money is people switch over uh, to make me their agent. To be clear, it costs absolutely nothing to do this and it takes two minutes. Here's what here are some of the things I can provide. What do you think? I mean, I don't think it needs to be all that complicated here. And what, so, so what happens? You wouldn't be bothered by that. No. Cool. I think I'm just overthinking this and it's because I'm asking for, you never like asking for a sale, you know, it's like this weird thing and I haven't done it when you're not, because I've been not focused on the, on it. It feels like I'm just coming out of nowhere and asking for it, which I kind of am. But yeah, I just need to go do it. I think it's more annoying if they beat around the bush or they do something like, you know, my big word, and I think for you too, is trust, right? You can do this in a way that does not hurt trust and maybe even builds it where you're just like, I don't know if you know what you signed up for here, but like, here's how my business works. I'm not. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure if you know this, but you, you, you are, I'm not your agent currently. And right. you know, here's what that mm-hmm. means. And if you have another agent, no big deal. Um, but if you do have, if you don't, like, it, it, here are the reasons why you should make me the agent because it costs and it costs you nothing. And here's what you'll get. Yeah. So, do you know if they have an agent or not? I don't think they do. But because, you, it's because not like the API you're calling. Doesn't I can't. Tell you I or can't something. confirm that for sure. No. But I. Okay. I, I mean, reading between the lines, I don't think they do. Okay. Because I think it'd be it'd be very easy to have one sentence in there that's like. If you have an agent that you're happy with, just stop reading. Like, great, uh, good for you. Most people don't. And if mm-hmm. you don't, why not, like, like why not have one? <laughs> totally, yeah. Uh, the other thing I can say is, like, th- because we did the Medicaid thing, I just realized, I just thought of this. For, you know, this contributes to our community service project is another way to say, like, this, mm-hmm. it's small, but it's something. Yeah, although, sure, it, it seems like the-, the easiest sale ever. It's like <laughs> take two minutes of your time, you get a tremendous amount of value, and it costs you nothing. Like I don't feel like you need to overcomplicate this. Probably. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I, I could be totally. <laughs> I wrong, just needed but a pep talk to like go ask for the sale, you know, and 
you know, I, I, I think I got what I needed. So have you considered, well, r- last thought, have you considered like nurturing them a little, like, are they getting a monthly email or that type of They've thing? They've already gotten two monthly emails. Uh, they've, yeah. Cause I wonder if you could like prime either make the ask in those emails or prime them a little bit. Like I've been thinking about doing this with, we send a lot of emails to our customers because we are their calendar. We send them reminders, daily agendas, all kinds of stuff. And I've been thinking like, why don't I just put a little snippet that sells us? Like they're a customer, so I don't need to get them to buy, but like, it's like, Hey, here's some value we've provided you or something like that. Totally. Yeah. That, and that's like in the monthly update email, I want to start adding like, Hey, you're not the agent. On, we're not the agent on this policy. Click here to eventually click here to make us the agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there's even like, if, if I'm your agent, here's like, oh uh, yeah. Like, uh, so what Drew does with trends.vc, I wonder if there's like a, at the bottom, it can just be like, here's the stuff you're not getting. Cause I'm not your agent, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Like, Ooh, like I'd be setting up a call with you right now, but yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I don't, there's nothing. The, the, the real, the real challenge I have is people don't people, peep, once people need help, they want, they're, they're like, yes, I want to make you the agent, but that happens at like life events and open yeah. enrollment. Yeah. If any of these people had a life event, I'd be like, oh yeah, I can help you, but will you make me the agent first? Mm-hmm. But assume they don't for until the next open enrollment period. I'm basically, what I want to do is create a third, a, a, a third bucket of buyer journey where they, they go in and make the, do the agent. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Well, at the very least, what that says to me is, the thing you can, I still think you should send the sales email once a year and be like, make me your agent. But the thing you can put in the other ones is just like reminder, uh, when you have a life event, come talk to me or that Mm -hmm. type, like just kind of, because I might not know to do that Mm -hmm. if without a reminder. Yep. I have that in the email. Oh, you do. Okay. Yep. Great. Dude, do you have, where do you get your health insurance? Is it through Shelly or through less annoying CRM? Less annoying. Um, is it group or individual? Uh, you should, you should actually create a leg of health account and add your policy and then get my monthly email. And then that way you can give me feedback on whether it's helpful or not. All right. I'm into that. I've, I've literally never submitted a claim to my health insurance ever, but, um, you never gotten a physical, um, not since I switched to group. I don't think really, I I just did this kind of cool thing. Um, I've been doing some research online about like these innovative primary care providers. And I met this guy in Utah and he's given me a free trial of it's called Fia. Oh man, I'm going to mess it up. Fia or Fia care. I, I'm screwed up. Screwed up. It's F I a care. Um, but anyway, it, uh, I signed up and I did like this video, three minute video chat and a nurse practitioner is coming to my house Saturday at 12 PM to do a physical and labs. And if I wanted to get a COVID test, they do a COVID test too. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, and it's covered by insurance. Um, it's a it's cash pay, but it's a direct primary care service, so you pay a monthly fee for unlimited service. Oh, that's very so it's cool. not covered by insurance, but it's sort of like in addition to. But I mean, just if it goes well, like totally worth it. That sounds great. I'm so averse to like. I, I think most people like this with healthcare. It's I, I don't know who to go to. I don't uh, you know. I don't like waiting in waiting rooms. No, and the waiting room is the worst part, and it's not just the waiting room. It's the waiting room for the waiting room. Because you mm-hmm. go waiting room, then you go waiting in the you know in front of the scale for someone to weigh you, and then you wait in the waiting in the oh, doctor's oh my, office room. If there were a doctor that would promise me I wouldn't like, I have to show up on time. If they showed up on time, 
but I'm like, their care will take five years off my life. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't trade five years of my life for that, but I'd think about it. I'd be like, <laughs> just to spite all these other fucking doctors that act like they don't have to provide any customer service to their totally. customers. Yeah, but I think that is that is the concept for that. It's called direct primary care, and it's a growing field. It's just not, like one medical, have you heard of one medical? No. One medical is a big San Francisco-based, I think it's San Francisco-based, California-based um, direct primary care service, but... It, it, in cool. the next 10 years, that, that'll be the new way we do primary care, especially if you can afford to buy up a, on top of health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. We got like four minutes here. Can I, I'll, I'll maybe just throw one idea at you. Yeah, do it. So I had a group brainstorming with some people at work yesterday and kind of brought up this content marketing thought. Um, one of the ideas that came up, so I brought up the general category, which I think there was a Trends.vc about this. We keep talking about trends, but uh, did you read the one about um, online competitions? Yes. Uh, so for anyone who didn't read this, online competitions, the idea being like, I think a really obvious version might be a weight loss one. Like, lose 10 pounds in 30 days. Like, we're going to send you an email and you're going to do the thing. Advent of coding. Advent of code is one, yes, for sure. Um, we've actually done one of these in the past. We, it was called you probably suck at sales.com. Uh, it wasn't exactly a challenge, but it was like a 30-day or a 20-day or something. Like, you get an email every other day with sales you, you did this? That's content, man. Yeah, I know, well, uh, I some, someone who worked for me at the time did it. But <laughs> we've, we've created a lot of content. It's just never worked. <laughs> anyway, so this idea of, yeah, like, making a challenge came up. And just like, if we were to do that, uh, what might it be? So I have, I have an idea to pitch you on, but also before I bias you, does anything come to mind immediately where you're like, here's an awesome idea for that? For an online competition for potential uh, CRM customers or existing CRM customers? Uh, potential. Well, I, I think in, in a perfect world, existing ones want to do it, which will get them to share it, but the real target is potential. And is this within an industry segment or on a macro basis for anyone? Either way. Hmm. I realize I'm putting you on the spot here, so. <laughs> An online competition. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, like, I, I, I knew you won't do this one, but you could have, like, a, a number of, like, cold calls, uh, like, mm. people dialed. Um, you could. That feels like one of the days of it. Yeah. Like, if it's a sales thing, like, because I think the idea is every day, yeah, you say, Oh, today, make sure you do 10 cold calls. I mean, the big thing that I think sales reps suck at that that the people who buy CRMs wish they were better at is logging stuff. So you could do something around logging. Okay, so here's that, that's not too dissimilar from the idea. I don't think this is the right title for it, but I'm interested what you think about the the actual idea is digitize your business. So it's for people that have a lot of not like, you know, they know they should be in the cloud and stuff like that, but they haven't made the switch yet, or at least maybe with some things, but not with everything and basically go day by day. And one of the days is CRM, but then there's one for your calendar and, you know, whatever else. It's for, instead of shed the pounds, it's shed the physical assets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a funny euphemism for losing yeah. weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not love handles. It's physical assets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's gonna get like replace IRL with vir the virtual world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like improve your digital your digital presence one day yeah. at a time. That's improve interesting. Improve your digital digits. Yeah. So I need. I don't. 
Yeah, I need to figure out the right way to propose it. Obviously, the real answer to this is we have to test it and see. But like your intuition there, it sounds like is like, yeah, maybe people would do this. I mean, I don't. I, it's so far away from someone, from a customer, or even like me. I, I can't really relate to to that being. Yeah, you, you wouldn't do it. But it, but it, but it kind of it makes me think of. I like it because it seems true to who you guys are. Because it reminds me of like when I asked you the question. I think it was maybe last episode. Like ultimately, what do you like want to do? Like if you could do anything, mm-hmm. and it's I want to democratize the enterprise, the tools that only the like tech elite have access to. Um, and if you, that seems like what you're trying to do here is really help your core user get more out of technology. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's a good way to think about it. Cause when it was someone else in the meeting that had this idea and they suggested, and it was like, are you telling me I get to write a blog post about using notion? Cause like, I really would love or, or, you know, how to use Slack best, how to use Gmail. I would love to do that. Man, I so the, coming back to the content conversation we were having, that's that's really a kind of interesting thing. Is if you can find people who, it's you, you know the like the people who taught you something that you didn't know before, like PHP. Who taught you PHP? Ben Diltz, our yeah, and uh, will you former ever forget coworker. him? No. <laughs> Do you feel like you owe him something for, as a result? Yeah, yeah. I feel like when you teach someone something like that, that is life altering. Um, there's this sort of thing that comes with it that's like, I'll do anything for you. And that's ultimately what good content is. Like that's the content that gets shared. Like, it might not be the content that gets shared, but it gets paid back in some yeah. way, paid forward. And it feels like that's where you're going with this notion idea um, and this digital like co- online competition. Um, so maybe that is some, there's something in there. Like your ideal reader is someone who is, who is not, uh, technically savvy but want but like has a desire to be more technically savvy you're almost like the guy who's doing like pair pro, pair pair email learning how to email with grandma <laughs> yeah this this resonates a lot and it actually makes me think something we tried in the past maybe we were on the right track but we gave it up too early we were going to make like a just small teaching small businesses how to use technology generally like subsite like it wasn't going to be on lessonwingserum.com it was going to be smallbusinesstechnology.com or whatever it was um, because like some of the most fulfilling conversations I have with customers is I'm on phone support. They call up, they have a question about the CRM. I answer it and they're like, oh, damn it. I, Gmail's bugging out again. And I'm like, let's talk about Gmail. Like what's the problem? And I spend five minutes and help them get a filter set up. And they're like, you just changed my fucking life. Do you know that? <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't understand why you don't have a professional services department. Like we've talked about this before too. You should have a professional services business on the side that is basically not IT support, but coaching like IT, mm. it's like the coaching version of IT. Like we are not your IT company, but we teach you how to solve your own problems. People would pay a subscription for that. It's what like my, I mean, I won't. I have a story, but it's not appropriate for me to share on the podcast. There are so many people, especially small business people who could use a CRM that also need someone coaching them how to like teach themselves to use technology. You should yeah. be, you should totally it, be offering that service. It's just, I, I hear you. It's just so hard because the thing is, if you Google any of these, like think, think the mom test, uh, what the mom test says is you say, okay, you want to know how to set up a filter in Gmail. What have you done to answer that? There are a million blog posts about this, and no one does it. No one seeks out this information. It's fair enough. Yeah, why aren't they doing that? Teaching them how to Google, then. Like that, that's probably yeah. I, I mean, maybe the solution here is it's not like pure SEO. It's like 
almost community. It's not community in that it's they're not talking to each other necessarily, but it's like they follow a newsletter or something. And how do you get them on the newsletter in the first place? I don't know. But then I'm kind of like bringing these topics up to them. Maybe it's just not pure SEO. And I'm thinking like it's an actual subscription that they oh, get yeah, a phone sure. number and I, an email address. Or they, I like, just don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, I think you're right that there's a business there, but I don't, that sounds miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, okay, cool. Well, maybe, uh, I'll bring what we, we may talk about this again next week, or I'll, I'll br- just bring a ton of ideas like this. If we can just have this conversation with 10 or 15 different ideas next week, I'd love that. That'd be great. Cool. You're going to make me want to start marketing again. Well, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> I need to focus. Yeah, yeah. All right, you want to sign us off? Yep. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.